0: Get ready for the world's greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Guns and Yellow Ribbons. My name is Fergus. I'm your host. I'm joined by Old Man Trev and Mark and Andy from Arsenal History. Um, following our uh, podcast that we done the other week, uh, I we, we thought it'd be good to take little sections of Arsenal history and look at it. And, and this one is looking at Woolwich and Plumstead in that area. Move over to Highbury. So basically, from 1886 to 1925. Um First of all, welcome back, Mark and Andy. How are you doing, Mark? were um, you first. Uh, and did you enjoy uh, the other week we d- when we done this?
2: Oh, I enjoyed it hugely. Yes, it was it was great fun. Thank you.
1: Yes, and ha- and hello to you, chaps. Hello, mate. Andy, uh, a face for radio. Apparently, isn't that what they were saying on Twitter? <laughs> I, don't, I don't don't listen to That's them. I yeah. That's what he said, yeah. <laughs> Good evening, chaps. Evening, mate. Uh, I, I hope you did enjoy it, and uh, hopefully we're going to keep this one a little bit shorter. We're going to try and keep it to 45 minutes. Remember, you can check out a lot of the stuff on the guy's website, which is com, and you can also check out our website. We've got a few little bits and pieces, but not a huge amount on there yet, but we are hoping to put more on, which is com. So, starting in... Well, Mark, this as we had a little chat beforehand, this is sort of your era and your, your speciality is the Woolwich side of Arsenal. So we spent an awful lot of time in Woolwich, Plumstead, Plumstead Common, Marshes, the Sports Ground, the Manor Field, which later became the Manor Ground. Went to the Invicta Ground for three years, and then back to the Manor Ground, which we spent almost 20 years south of the river. Um so you know all that moving around I, I know you've put some you've you've done done some work in some of your books over that tell us a little about that time and that era and 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 the emergence of arsenal football club and ultimately we'll get to the point where why did we move but that's a few minutes down the line at least i'll leave it over to you mark
2: okay um well the, 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 the as andy said last 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 week week before um the club was basically founded out of the, of the dull square cricket club. Um, they were playing a few, you know, had a few games and then in the summer, they thought, Oh, end of the summer, I thought they said play a bit of football. David Stanskin was instrumental in this as was Elijah Watkins, who was the dull square cricket, um, uh, secretary. Um, they got things together and getting football, or got football together with the chaps. They had a bit of a kick about. Played the first game um, in Millwall um, against season Wanderers. Um, Bought along Fred Beard, Fred Beardsley for the um, for the journey, and then they expanded from there. Basically, um, I mean, it's, it's when you look at the papers, it's actually quite a, a, a simple sort of formation, but it's never really been looked at. Properly, because a lot of the uh, a lot of the original story said dancing didn't like cricket, um, but he loved it. He played it all the time. In um, fact, his last game for Royal Arsenal was for the Arsenal Cricket Club um, in 1890, so or 91. Um, so there was there was there was so much, you know. There's, well, you know, and, and the club evolved so much in in, in that time. Um, they went from say, 1886 being unknown. To 1890 again as Andy alluded to last time to being uh, the champions of the south okay they were given that name by one of the local um local papers but they genuinely were they won every trophy um other than the London senior cup which they then won in 1891 then they became professional um so you know they they it, it was really just like a tale of it just took off
1: mm. um trouble you you, you were keen on, on, on this era as well. Obviously, it's closer to your age group as well, so we would we would expect that. So. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that in. Uh, take yourself off mute, old man. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: oh, look, he does it to me on purpose. He mutes me now, and then he blames I don't, me. Boys. I can't. Fergus, I've got a pen handy here, because we've both got loads in our head, you and me, and I'm going to mark down how many times we get put right by these two boys of superior knowledge tonight. I'm a little bit worried. But, yeah, so, we, we as you say, Mark, we, we start off in 1886. We play our first game against Eastern Durance. And in, in a relatively short space of time, in 1890, we're kings of the south, you know, four years. So, there's there's a massive development there. And we start off at the manor ground. What's the manor ground like in them early days, boys?
2: Pretty Basic, really. <laughs> yeah. Depends. The manor field, the manor field, which became the manor ground. The manor field literally was a field. The manor ground, they started. They basically put wagons and and whatnots around it. Um, then they started putting the you know um, what's the word for it stands in. Um, but it took a long time. It evolved over a long, long time. You know. So it, did-
0: the main development of the Manor Ground, that comes after we've spent the short time at the Invicta Ground, is it? We move back there and the 20 years we spend there after that, that's when it starts getting developed, is it? Is that what happens?
3: Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we, we, we moved on to the Manor Field first because we've been playing at um, the Sportsman Ground, which was a little bit closer to the Thames and it flooded one day when they were due to play. It was actually their last home game of, of that season. And so they went a few fields along and asked the 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 owners of that field if they could play there, that game. Uh, and that was uh, what was known as the Manor Field. And then the following season, they play, started playing there on a permanent basis. And that was, you know, it was, as Mark says, just a field. And they had two years there when then we moved to the Invicta ground, which was a purpose-built football ground. And it's probably one of the best grounds, if not in the south, or not if in the... In the in the whole country, but certainly in the south of the country.
1: You know, it was- uh, And there's still parts uh, of it left, left today, isn't it? This is in somebody's back right, garden. Yeah. The, the terraces. Um, yeah, I, I've seen pictures of you both on it much, uh, many, many moons ago, <laughs> I think that is. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
3: to, to give you an idea of how quickly we rose. So as you say, from 1886, we, we, we started 1890 91, the Football League had only, that was the third season of the Football League. We were getting crowds that were comparable to the Football League, which you know that was a, a well-organised competition, competition and it had the, all the biggest clubs in the country, well, they were all based in the North and the Midlands. But we were getting crowds that, you know, that the Football League, uh, uh, Football League clubs would have been happy to get and no one else in, in the South of the country could command such crowds. And we were then able to also uh, invite the big teams to come down and play. The only way you could do that was if you offered them a a nice big fee for coming down. And they used to come down because we knew that we could get a a big crowd in to come and see them to
1: pay for it. Okay. Who said football wasn't all about money, eh? (laughs) (laughs) It always was. Always has been.
0: If it's the first purpose-built ground, the Invicta ground, And it's a a good ground and it's attracting clubs and and from up north and and fans. Why are we only there three years then, boys? What happens?
3: Well, if you think that what happened with Kroenke and Usmanov, you know, from 2007 onwards was, was, you know, quite interesting. We had something similar happen uh, towards the end of our time there. The last season there, there was, uh, so Arsenal were, They weren't a limited company at the time. They didn't have a board of directors and owners. They had a committee and the people who uh, made up the club were members, uh, just ordinary members, and ordinary members then elected a committee. And there were a couple of people on the committee who uh, got into bed with the owner of the Invicta ground, George Weaver, and what they tried to do was take over the club. And so you, you may have read stories about... Uh, the last season that they were there, the the owner of the Invicta ground, their landlord tried to put the rent up, you know, an astronomical amount of money. And he did that to try to force the uh, members and the committee to move away from the club so that he could take over the club. But it failed. uh, And the men that sort of like kept the club or started the club and kept it going over the first five years uh, decided that they didn't want to stay at the Invicta ground because of what, George Weaver and his co and his and his cohorts were trying to do, and uh, we moved away from there to back to the Manor Field, and we had to form a limited company. Um, to what was what was the limited company format? Was that to develop the Manor Field, wasn't it? No, that or was. was it, or was it to buy the mortgage for it? It was to buy the mortgage
2: for it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So we we had to uh, issue shares and become a limited company. And that's why we changed their name, because they couldn't continue as Royal Arsenal, which was a, a name that they weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to use the word Royal. So they formed a Woolwich Arsenal
1: instead. OK, And okay. um, one thing slight, slightly off the topic, but in, in the era, you, you mentioned a lot of the time about the men and, and, and the men that got to the football and football and sport is very much associated with men. Uh, back then and I just read when I was looking up some stuff today that men were charged like this before we went professional It went up when we went professional slightly but three pence to get in and boys were charged two pence but women got in for free and that also transferred when we moved uh, went professional and moved back to the manor ground was it was that normal does anybody know if many women went to football back then Mark do do you know yes and if
2: you were to read the Royal Arsenal, you would see there's a whole chat section on the chat, on the crowd. Um, and also in my other book, um, The Crowd at Woolwich Arsenal, which is a bit earlier. Um, and it, it goes through how many women went to the game. I mean, we found uh, they think about 40% of the crowd was women um, in the first season in Victor. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be- because it was a social event. Because Andy said it was a lovely ground. It was Woolwich. Woolwich was massive. You know, it, it was it was centre of the empire, effectively, in many ways. You know, we were yeah. building making all the arms for the for the empire to go around and, and you know, do whatever. Um, so it, it was a huge social thing. Um, the problem was was that a lot of women didn't then go to the manor ground because it wasn't it wasn't as a nice it wasn't as nice to be honest. Um, mm. And there's lots of stories of women who did go get their clothes, you know.
1: Um, basically destroyed because it was so nice. Yeah, I I I read probably in your book or an extract of your book so um I I I read that they had a an embankment and then they had some ter- um, terraces and they had to be reminded that there weren't seats because some when it was inclement some of the uh, the the like embankments used to get very muddy so people would go back into the terraced areas and the ladies would sit on the and ruin the clothes as you say so but mm. was that normal um uh, among football of his day because I just never associated. Uh, I think so. I think so. To be honest, I think it was mo- it was a social it was a social thing. Okay.
2: Um, you know, I mean, it, it would it would depend on a, on a lot of factors. But I think if people looked at it, I think they'd find that women did go to football a lot more than it's assumed in that period in the post sort of the Vic- end of, uh, late Victorian era. I don't think it was as prevalent in um, the Edwardian and post. Um, first world war but women still did go you know they still did go wherever okay. people think that's a it was predominantly I mean, if you look at pictures of the of the crowd in man, the manor ground in the um on the spine cop end um you know you only see two or three women but if you look in the stands and and you know there's evidence in the stands women were in the stands quite a lot mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean you know there, there was one occasion when uh, one of the bradford players i think it was 1910 or 1911 he got banned from playing in the FA Cup because he swore at two women whilst he was playing. And they gave him a month ban and he didn't play in the FA Cup because of it.
1: Oh, wow. OK. Um, what's uh, When you look at the Manor Ground and it, the Invictors, is probably to a certain degree, what sort of attendances would you have expected to get there, Andy? Like it, it, the average attendance and you know, and how successful were we in that stadium?
3: So in, in the Invictor... I think the highest attendance we got was about 10,000. And in our last season there, the average was between six and 7,000, which, like I say, was the average crowd for a football league game. Uh, the early days in the Manor ground, uh, when we moved back there, uh, they were probably a little bit lower because it wasn't as well developed. But over years, you know, it was developed bit by bit. They put in uh, stands and, and increased the terracing. Mark mentioned the word spy and cop there yeah you know, we were the first club to have a a, a terrace called the cop and um, and and you know as, you, as you've seen i don't know if you've seen pictures of it but it it does go back quite a way so by the time we'd got into the first division in 1904 yeah it could easily hold 40,000 people but we were getting wow. yeah you know, we, we we were getting crowds once we got promoted into the first division of 30 000.
0: at the manor
3: at the manor ground yeah yeah but throughout the, the 18, from 1893 up to about 1900, the crowds weren't that great. Um, mainly because we started off in the second division, although mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was good that we could pull in uh, people from outside of the area to come in and see football league games. Plumstead wasn't an easy place to get to anyway. And then towards the end of the 19th century, we were at war with, in, in the Boer War. And so a lot of the partisan uh, fans from the local area worked in the in the arsenal, and they were made they were forced into working overtime on a Saturday afternoon. So the crowd slumped where um, the, you know the, the local fans weren't actually able to go because they were they were made to work, and that some of them work in nights as well. So it, you know that that affected uh, early attendances. But as we came out and- of the bar war you know, it, it helped us and, and the crowds
1: picked up. Trev, you were going to ask something there a second ago. Go on.
0: Yeah, no, I was just... So, just before... I'm conscious that Fergus wants to keep this to a certain length of time tonight. So, I, I want to ask one question. Then I want to move on and ask you boys about when the decline set in, about 1907, 1908, and the decline started on the field and the crowds dropped. But, but just, just so people know... I mean, we've spoken about it. Is it, what's left of the Invicta ground and the Manor ground, boys? Anything left of them? The Invicta,
2: I, as you've seen, um, Fergus put up the the terracing. Yeah, um, which I think was Conway, the Conway Road. That's one of the that was behind one of the goals, um, and that goes how long do you reckon, Andy? 50, yeah. 50 yeah. yards. Fifty yards, yeah. Because it goes to the church yeah, as well, yeah. doesn't it? Ten houses, isn't it? Yeah, ten houses, but there's a church butting it, and I think it goes into the church as well. I think someone's said that. So this, that goes through about ten houses, and then there's a church, and it goes all the way along. So it, it, it's quite a... It, it, you know, there's it, it, quite a length left. Uh, manor ground, it, nothing. Is nothing there any is.
1: preservation on Is there any preservation on this uh, terracing, then, or anything like that, now?
2: No idea. Wouldn't well, no. Wouldn't awesome? No. Awesome. I mean...
3: It's, it's in the back of people's gardens. You, you look the you other picture that you put up earlier, Fergus. That shows it's quite yeah, open,
1: deteriorated. you know, that end of it. I'll get that up in a second. Just give me one second. I took it off because I thought we'd moved on from there. Come up in one second. Come there on, we go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was yeah, that was so. taken in
2: nineteen seventy odd because that was that was a a, a story of, in the Kentish Independent about Arsenal in seventy one. Get into the double, get into the final FA Cup final.
1: Oh, and that was a back story to do with the, the final and so on. So, yes. Forth yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: So, that you can see that's, that's what it looked like, you know, in the, in the early okay. 70s, late
3: 60s. And not, not only just that, you know, Mark just said that the, the manor ground, there's nothing left of it anymore. It got developed and, it, and it's being redeveloped again. But also, when the club moved from, from Plumstead up to Highbury, They left virtually everything there, which is a nightmare for us as historians because we've got no um, early records to go through. The club left it all there. Yes, nothing. It's all all lost.
0: Oh, blimey.
1: All all the paper records, you mean, and and photos? Yeah, nothing. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing.
0: They left it there. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. So, where do you get your information from then to? To substantiate the information that you've got so far um, for that era, then anyway, uh,
2: newspapers basically.
1: Yeah. There, there's also some early programs knocking around.
3: Mm. The club have got some, and some of the, you know, serious program collectors have got some. So we've had access okay. to them. Some of them are in the newspaper library as
1: well. Okay, I like what you were talking about the last time. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so uh, Trev then wanted to talk about the decline and and um, then ultimately leaving the manor ground and look, I, I suppose how they the, the residents of Plumstead would have felt about that. Um, Mark again, because it's, it's it's your it's your manner, as they say, um, uh, being in the Woolwich area. Um, what what about the decline and, and, and leaving the the last few games at the Manor Ground and how, how did the locals feel about it? They were very, very, very unhappy.
2: Um, I and mean, I think from memory there was an article um, and I think, yeah, that's right, Norris wasn't invited. They had a big, they had a dude to basically say, yeah, you know, everyone's a bit all upset we're going, but we're, you know, we're having a big piss up. Um, and Norris, I mean the the, the other one. I mean, the, the other people were invited. Hall was invited, Humble was invited, but Norris wasn't invited. He wasn't a very well liked man because um, he did what he said he was going to do. He took over into nineteen ten, and again, as Andy said last time, George Levy said you can't move. Um, George Levy in nineteen twelve had enough. Uh, so year later, oh, George Levy's gone. Let's go. Let's move. That's what they did, but to be fair to to, to to them, they had to do something because, you know, there's no way they could have sustained the the level of crowds and everything else that they were getting um, at that you know nineteen. Again, and also you know they'd gone down a division because they were playing so poorly.
1: Okay, and you said the locals weren't happy. What 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 did it do? Did the take to the streets? Take banners? No, it just didn't turn up. It just <laughs> didn't turn up.
2: No, because they realised what was going to happen. They knew what was going to happen. They were told what was going to happen in 1910. So if you don't turn up, um, you know, then we're, then, then, then we're going to leave. Um, and they just sort of lost interest, really, I suppose. Um, there's, there's not a lot, on It is there, Andy, really? There's not a huge amount. I mean, other no, than to say that, you know, the support is
3: no, very, very irate. Right. As Mark says, they were resigned to the fact, having known that what Norris said in 1910, um, he said he'd keep them there for two years as long as the crowds came back but they didn't. Fergus, is there any chance of you putting up that that graph that I, that I sent? Uh, Let me see
1: if I can. Give me, give me a second and I'll, I'll get it. Um, it's
3: quite explanatory. So, you know, from 1904-05, when we got promoted into the top flight, our average crowd was 20,000 which may not sound a lot now but at the time it was the second highest in the country. And um, right.
1: Give me a second. Okay, I'll stick it up here.
3: And then what happened was there were there was two things that happened. The first was that Chelsea got formed in 1905 uh, and they were immediately elected into the Football League. So all the casual fans that we attracted from you know all other parts of London that were willing to make that journey down to Plumstead to see all the top names all of a sudden, they didn't need to. They could go to Chelsea, which was a lot easier to get to from central London. Uh, And if if you look at um, Chelsea's first season in the league, uh, sorry, uh, two seasons after um, joining the league, they got promoted into the top flight. And so their crowds, their average crowds, was well over 30,000. And ours had dropped from 20,000 down to under 15,000. So that, that was the first thing that happened. And then Tottenham got elected into the league as well. And although they're not in London, their ground was a bit more accessible. <laughs> yeah, it's a slightly easier train journey from Liverpool Street up to, up to their ground. And then they got promoted into the top flight as well. So if you look at 1909-10, um, Chelsea's had dropped down again, but they were, they were both between 25 and 30,000, their average crowd and ours had dropped down to just over 10,000. Our crowd had dropped by 50%. And back then, two main income sources of income were gate receipts and transfers. So our gate receipts had dropped by 50%, and all of a sudden, we'd gone from making a profit to making a loss. And the only way that they could um, mitigate that loss was to start selling players. And so all the big names that we'd, you know, that we'd, we'd bought and the players that we'd made they started to be sold and that was the only way I don't think it's going to show up. You can probably get the gist of it. So the red line is Arsenal's attendances. The blue line is Chelsea and the gray line is Tottenham. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, you can exactly. see ours is hard and Chelsea's has gone from nothing. Uh, and so by you know, 1912, uh, 1910, uh, ours was just over 11,000. And that's when Norris said, Look, if you keep coming to the games and paying for it, you know, paying for the club to stay here, we'll stay here. And the crowd didn't really in- increase a little bit, but it wasn't enough. You know, the break-even figure was probably over fifteen thousand. Um, and then nineteen, twelve, thirteen, it started off badly and it got worse and worse and worse. The last few cra- the last few games that we played at the Manor Ground, we were getting crowds of five thousand, four thousand, and the very last game, only three thousand turned up. Yeah, you that know, they've given up by then. So, so Andy, in, so by the by the
0: time we get to nineteen thirteen, we're rock bottom from a playing perspective. We win three games all season, twelve thirteen, yeah, and and then we and then. So is that because Chelsea and Tottenham are stealing the best players, or is that part of Norris's plan to make it more desirable for us to move away from? The Woolwich area. I I, I genuinely asking those questions because I don't know, mate. So I'm not digging there. I just it's just interesting to know why the main cause in you guys' minds of why 1913, what was a very successful club, wins three games all season.
3: It's a good well, question. Chelsea yeah. and Tottenham were just just as bad as us at the time. They you know they, they barely escaped relegation. But the thing is, people would still go there to um, see the big names from all over the country, as you say out. Our season, 1213 13 was, was very poor. It started off badly, and they just never recovered from it. We, had, well, we lost one player in 1912, Andy Duckett, who was probably the last of the star players of the era, and that may well have been the decline for that season. But Norris, to say that uh, Norris wanted that, I'm not really sure because, you know, just after Christmas, uh, you know, he could see that things were in really bad condition, a really bad state. So we actually bought some players. He must have put his hand in his pocket and we bought four players for a, around about £1,000 each. And that was our record fee at the time. So, he's, he's, you know, the, the manager has obviously gone to him and said, look, can we get some new blood in? And he allowed him to do that. And they, they just weren't enough to, to stop the rot. Yeah. So in
1: 1913, we moved to Highbury. Despite looking at sites in Battersea, Haringey, uh, Norris settled for a plot in North London. Um, we settled for Highbury. We paid 20 grand, I think, for a 21-year lease on a six-acre plot of land. Um, we had issues with the locals. Part of the deal was we couldn't play on Christmas Day, um, our Good Friday. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Who wants to go on that one then, Mark or, or Andy? Who wants to go oh, to, to, to the Highbury? To do that one as well, been refreshing
3: my memory from uh, you know, earlier on today. So um, the, the the move to Highbury was announced at the beginning of March, and uh, the Islington Gazette, you know, ran a small story on it. And then the following week, there were just like loads and loads of letters from locals, mainly living on Highbury Hill. So there was a guy called Thomas Naylor, seemed to be the the main instigator, and there was a local councillor who um, who lived. Uh, I think Peter Inglis was his name. He lived on Highbury Hill as well. And uh, they just went absolutely bananas. And they were not happy at all. And they were trying to, you know, they they set up the Highbury Defence Committee, as it was called. And they were organising meetings and lobbying the local council. But at the end of the day, there was not a lot they could do. And, you know, they they really went to town in the way that they described the football fans, you know, hordes. Uh, amassing a Highbury every two weeks, you know, and doing all sorts of unspeakable things. But in the end, we we saw it through. There, there was nothing that the council could do to stop us, and not was, that they wanted to stop us. They, I think that the council wanted us there, and the local traders definitely wanted us there.
1: And Highbury Hill residents haven't changed even over a hundred years <laughs> on. <laughs> no, <very laughs> <much>. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, go on.
0: I spoke briefly, just aimed at you really, Andy, because I spoke to Mark briefly about this before we came on here. This chap Norris, he, he, he get, really gets my attention. I, I want to know all about Norris because, you know, it's been said that us Gunners fans of today owe Norris everything, really, whether you agree with that or whether you don't. But but going back to moving to Ivory, the, the, what, what I've been told is that there was all those protests, and um, the way Norris dealt with it was, as, as you just explained, he told, he explained to the local traders how much money they would earn from all these people coming into North London, and that sort of shut most of the traders up. And um, then he, he used his influence with a few councillors and got them on side. That's all I know. But then uh, the really interesting one, and the words I read were that even in those those days, his social networking skills were very good indeed. And that he used those to to starve yeah. the processes that were left of any publicity by closing down by, by closing down their used to the newspapers because that was all there was in them days.
3: How did that work, mate? Because it really gets my interest. Uh, I'm not really sure that, that that's how it happened. I, I'll tell you what. I think that Norris was was a good orator. You know, you, you mm. there's there's not a great deal in the newspapers about. Um, you know, interviews with him, but there are the odd um, reports on meetings that were held. And from the way that they describe him talking, he sounds like he's one of these people that can stand up in, in front of the crowd and, you know, sort of like tell them and, and give them a nice uh, view on absolutely everything, you know, and make it all sound nice. You know, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, it, it will it will work out all right. Yeah, so he wasn't the bully boy a lot of people think he was. Then possibly, he may well have been behind the scenes, but certainly not his public face.
2: Because so don't, don't forget, he, he had been the he, he had been the chairman and a director at Fulham since was it nineteen oh four? yeah, um, with, with William Hull. So they were well versed in in football in the football tur- in football circles. So it, it wasn't just like a bloke turn up. You know, bullying people and getting what he wanted. He 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 had been part of that, and I know he wrote a few He wrote a few, he wrote columns in paper in in football and sports papers, um, which I, to be honest, I haven't seen many because I don't think many of them many of them survived or Collindale or whatever. Um, but you know, he 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 wasn't he wasn't the ogre that he was. Ma- I don't think he was the ogre that he was made out to be. He was probably a very really difficult bloke. But I don't yeah. think he was the you know, the, the the overarching Machiavelli that he's made out
1: to be. Yeah, would it be fair? Go on, Trevor. I'll just to it. Would it be fair to on, Trevor, just say... It would would it fair to say...
0: Just, just, just one more thing yeah. on this. I'm sorry, my friend. Sorry, Fergus. That's right. Because right. at some stage during this this process of moving Arsenal and buying Arsenal, it goes from being Henry Norris, playing old Henry Norris, to being Sir Henry Norris, doesn't he? So he couldn't have been all bad. He must. He must have been worthy of a knighthood somehow or other. He got that for
2: sending blokes to the to the to the trenches. He he oh. he became a sir purely. I think it was nineteen sixteen or seventeen. Forget for recruiting
1: people into the army.
0: Okay, that was it.
1: Okay. Not, no other reason. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was going to say, would it be would it would it be fair to say? Because I know we touched on it briefly before, and, and don't really need to expand hugely. But um, his. Ultimate objective, Norris and Hall. The, the, the ultimate objective was not necessarily to create Arsenal Football Club, but to create a bigger football club in Fulham and Arsenal. Um, so you know, Arsenal came out as a, a bit of a mistake from the end of. It. Is that is that a fair assumption, or is that a bad rounding I, up? I, I think he just wanted a
3: first division team. You
1: know, the, the team
3: that he had at Fulham just couldn't, couldn't um, get promoted. You know, he managed to get them into the Football League but they straggled year in, year out in the second division. And he's, he's brought himself into Arsenal. It's a ready-made first division team. They, you know, there was talk in the early days about merging Fulham and Arsenal, but I think we covered that mm. at the last one. Yeah, they, they, they may have talked about it, but they never put that forward to the Football League and possi- or possibly moving Arsenal to Fulham, but George Levy wouldn't let that happen. So he's, he's brought into a ready-made first division team. And that's what he wanted, you know, sort of like the... Yeah. Um, the kudos of owning it are one of the big names in football.
1: And it it's no different than um, Man City and the and the rich Arabs and so on of, of its day, I suppose. Um, this no, is a hybrid. I think it is, because I think the scale
2: of money is completely and utterly different. I mean, it's a totally different.
1: Uh, yeah, but football has blown up the wages that the guys would have got and, and so on and so forth. But I'm just trying to make maybe a modern day comparison uh, to work it out in my head. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But <laughs> I don't, honestly I don't think that's a very good. I don't think it's a very good. It's, it's probably a better comparison is
2: with the bloke, the bloke who ran um, who ran Man U, the Pie Man. Okay. I don't know his name now? Edwards. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a better analysis. I think looking at what Norris was, I think I think the, the Man sitting and the Chelsea stuff is just totally different. It's blown out. Okay. No, they're, they're out. This stratospherically different.
3: Financially. Morris. Morris wasn't there to just plough tons of money into the club. He did, but all that money got paid back to him. He's, he okay. wanted to make, he's, and he wanted to make a profit out of it. He took a dividend out of the shares each year. Uh, he didn't want to make, you know, sort of like loads of profit over and above the money that he put in. He didn't sort of like charge the club interest on that money. All that money that he loaned them, and it was mainly to build up Highbury so that the club could become self-sustaining. Which is a model that they've carried on over the years. Chelsea mm-hmm. and Man City—they've got two, they've got an owner each who have just ploughed billions into the club, you know. Okay. And, and there's there's no tool to to take that money back to them.
1: On the screen, I've got a picture of um, hybrid. This uh, is two weeks before uh, we go uh, and play Leicester. F- is it Leicester Fosse? Yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Lester Foss and we beat them two-one and victory uh, a two-one victory over them on the 6th of September 1913. Uh talk to me a bit more about um the performances in that uh stadium from 1913 through to 1925. What were our attendance like? You know, did did we get gain many accolades? The stadium itself was designed by Archibald Leach, who had designed I think Manchester United and a few other stadiums around the country as well.
3: Yeah. So and, it was, yeah. and, and the Manor yeah. Ground. He's done some yeah. work on the Manor Ground. So, but, yeah, the, the attendances from the off. Don't forget, we're in the second division now. So, we've been relegated. And, and from the off, we're getting attendances well in, well, well in advance of what we were getting at the last season at mm-hmm. the Manor Ground. I think the first game there was 20,000. You'd expect that at the, uh, the first game uh, of the season. But the ground was unfinished. It was far from finished. You saw that two weeks before. They, they didn't add a great deal onto it after that. The stand that you see there, that was uh, nowhere exactly. near finished. It had the support structure. It had the roof on. But it didn't have the wall at the back. And it was exactly. just sort of fallings. So for, certainly for the first few games, there was no one allowed in the stand.
1: And would that uh, would that be the location where the East Stand or the West Stand is? That's the East Stand, yeah. So that's, that's the original. That, that. That's the mid twenties,
2: isn't it? That that picture. Yeah. If not, if yeah, not,
3: like the Arsenal name written across it.
2: Yeah.
3: So it's we ended up true. our first season there. Our average crowd was uh, just over, about twenty-three thousand, whereas the last okay. in, in Plumstead was below ten thousand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, and, well, financially, it
1: was a right move. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Did Norris use all his own money then to build Highbury? Was it all his own money? Or did he had no, some... Far from
3: it. So it, him and Hall were 50-50 partners in it. So they each spent... The money that they put in was heart- exactly the same. But what they used was the, uh, the builder. So the, they said to the builder, we won't pay you, but what we'll do is we'll pay you a percentage of the gate receipts. And so they, they basically took out a long-term loan through the, via the builder, and they paid the builder off um, as each game was played. And that, that was by far, you know, that, that, the builder took over more than 50% of the liabilities of the uh, cost of the stadium. Wow. And, you know, Come Norris was, what's it? was quite a shrewd man.
0: Because they so only had the six months, didn't they? Six months to turn a field into a stadium, wasn't it?
3: No, we started in June. Less than that. Less than that. Wow, yeah.
0: bloody hell. Starting 10
3: weeks. You, I think they got planning permission in June, and, and they yeah. first game was in early September.
2: Wow! Oh, they did a fantastic job to get it to get it finished. It was, it was, it was amazing.
1: Yeah. Although we had, a but bit it wasn't, of a- it wasn't, it wasn't finished. Was it? it was still under construction in certain areas. Yeah. When yeah. I say finished, I mean to actually be able to yeah. allow the football of, league to say,
3: "Yeah, you can play yeah. a game of football on that." Yeah. 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 So, so that, you know, the, the first season that this. The main stand wasn't anywhere near complete. It wasn't finished until well into the 1914-15 season. We had a bit of a problem towards the end of nineteen thirteen fourteen 14 on the West Terrace. So one night, uh, I think it was in in April, it had torrential rain, and the rain came down Highbury Hill, and the wall that separated the terrace from the houses that backed onto it, where Mr Inglis and Mr... Um, Naylor lived, started listing onto the terrace and so the, the, the directors have then got to make a decision, they, this was to happen the, the night before they were due to play one of their games in the league and they couldn't ban, they couldn't just call the league up and say look we can't play this game tomorrow uh, because they were then uh, at risk of losing the points, it's, it's a still thing today, if you cancel a game because you haven't got permission, forfeit, yeah. you, you forfeit the, the points to the game but they they did do that. They they looked at the health and safety side of things, and they said, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, cancel the game anyway, we're gonna postpone it." And they then spoke to the league and told them what they were doing. And luckily, the league were were very understanding, so we didn't actually lose the points of the game. But it, it took a couple of weeks, and basically, what they did was, what had happened was the the rain had pushed a load of mud against the wall, and that's what had um, caused it to list. And they got someone. Uh, a builders firm to shovel all the mud from one side of the wall onto the other side, and then just try and push it back a bit,
1: just keep uh, it upright. <laughs> so, what, what what were your you talking about um, up until maybe Chapman was approached because Chapman came about twenty five, and we don't we don't want to go into Chapman as much, but because uh, we want to do that separately, because um, I think he's deserved of a a forty five minute to an hour conversation at least on his own um if, if not more uh but like you know we developed uh, continue to develop the ground you said it didn't get finished till what was it, 17 so they spent four or five years developing the ground yeah um the attend- the attendances continued to grow um well, the results it, there was there was a problem in 1914 in that we declared
3: war on germany and, <laughs> yep. um, and so a lot of our support were, were young men or, or men of fighting age uh, and they, they got shifted off to the front. So come 1914-15, football really should have stopped in 1914, but it didn't. Mm. And the, the, you know, attendance plummeted again. So our average attendance dropped to about 14,000. So, you know, we, we've, we've gone from, uh, you know, under 10,000 in Plumstead one season, then we've hit the high life in, um, in Highbury, you know, you know, about 23,000. And then all of a sudden the war's come and it's hit the, um, hit the attendances again. And there, there was a lot of bad feeling uh, amongst uh, a lot of the, the media, certainly, about football continuing. And that kept people away as well. Mm. And in 1915, that was it. The, the Football League said we're going to stop, or well, the Football Association said, we're going to stop playing organised football. And so we had four years of playing uh, regional football and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't classed as first-class football, um, and so the, you know, again, the, the crowds throughout that season were quite low because a lot of the men were off fighting, and you know, a lot of them were killed, um, mm. and which was, you know, bad news for Norris and Hall because they laid out all this money, and you know, bad news for the builder as well, and they, yeah. they were struggling to get through again. And then nineteen nineteen football started up again, and the first game that. Uh, the nineteen nineteen twenty season was Arsenal against Newcastle, and I think about fifty thousand fans managed to get in, and there were thousands and thousands locked out. You know, it almost come to a yeah. riot in the streets.
1: Back in oh, the was, that wasn't it, was it?
0: Was
2: Was nah, that
3: the uh, image? That was a bit later. That was nineteen twenty eight, I think, or nineteen
2: twenty twenty nine. is it? I think. Yeah. yeah
3: it's not even Arsenal playing it's the FA Cup. It's not, oh, is that
1: is that the is that the international? The um... no, it's, it's, uh portsmouth i think
2: playing in the fa cup semi-final you you can see the first oh. clock there is, is that the first clock there isn't it andy that one
3: yeah so at the bottom left of the screen there's yeah. Uh, yeah. a little little uh construction there and that's that's where oh no sorry that's where the clock went that's not actually the clock on there that didn't come along until 1930. yeah makes you wonder how they fit
0: that west stand in that little space there doesn't it you know it it is, yeah. You yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, Fergus, just, be, just before we move on, I, I, I read a lovely quote today, and it be interesting to get these boys, view, just, just see what they say. But that first game against Leicester Foster I um the Arsenal player, George Joby, was stretched off, and the Arsenal trainer, George Hardy, he had no facilities at all. So he had to put the player on an awesome cart and get him driven back to his digs, his flat where he lived, and actually treat him in his own house. The, the, the facilities at Highbury were that poor. There was nothing there for it. Yeah, the,
2: the, as I said, there wasn't. There was. The, it was just like a metal frame for the um for the stand, and there was three three sides were, you know, nothing, just yeah. just j- just mud and mud and wood
0: basically. Yeah, you was, know. And terrifying. the other thing from that seat, the from the from the thirteen fourteen season, and I'm looking at your book. This is where I see in your book. I love the fact that you look at the table for that season. And we're in the table as the Arsenal. We are the Arsenal. It might just make, we are the Arsenal, you know. I wish we still had the Arsenal nowadays, you know, because it's unique, it's special and it it, it reflects what our club is, I think. I love that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I try to refer to us as the Arsenal wherever possible. I can remember years ago, a mate of mine was a West Ham fan. And um, I was at work, and there was a couple of us who were Arsenal fans. And one of us said to the other, Yeah, you're going up the Arsenal on the weekend. And he's gone, Why'd you call why'd you say the Arsenal? we because we're the Arsenal, mate. Yeah, you
0: know,
3: the limited company is the Arsenal Football Club. Yeah, uh, so, so yeah, you know, the company's house we registered as the Arsenal. We say
0: we're going to watch the Arsenal, no other team. You don't say we're going to watch the Manchester United or nah. the Liverpool. It's just them. You know? But Fergus, but, but I know, he, I know you're conscious of closing this, right? I know yeah. you're conscious of closing this, mate. But I just I just need to I've been thrown off my track now. You carry on, Fergus. I'll get back to it in a second.
1: Now, I was just going to say, um, other teams also refer to us as the Arsenal. If my mates have got to say, you go down the Arsenal today. So, you know, it, it, everybody knows us as the Arsenal. Um, finally, to end on this, um, at what point did we start getting interested in Herbert Chapman? Uh, you talked about the manager who managed us right up to that point. Uh, and what, what was the reason behind us bringing in uh, our, uh, looking to approach um, Chapman? Who wants to go on that? Mark, do you want to go on that? Or- uh, I think I think it might be me because I've got the book. And you've got it, yeah. okay. So, so when right.
3: when Chapman became manager, it's not un- it's not like today. There were not end to end interviews. You know, everyone going to say speak to him. Why have you done this? Why did why have you left so and so? Why have you left the, the currently the most successful team in the country to go and play for a team that almost got relegated last season? There was just no interviews. We search and search and search. The only bit that we found that around it was Henry Norris refusing to speak to or refusing to tell a reporter how much Norris was getting paid. I bet he was getting paid a lot of money. He was getting paid £1,500 a year.
0: So Chapman, you sorry. mean
3: Chapman? Sorry? You mean Chapman? Chapman, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Chapman getting yeah. paid £1,500 yeah, a year. So the, the players run a maximum wage of £8 a week and he's on £30 a week. So that's quite okay. a difference. So... What, we've, what I found is um, there's a guy called Ivan Sharp, a footballer. He was uh, an amateur, and he played for England in the Olympics. Uh, but he played for two teams, which uh, both had a connection with what happened. So the first one was Gossett. Now, Gossett was owned by the Hillwood family. They didn't, they didn't last too long. They went bust. Um, I, th- I think they went bust just before the war. Um, but he also played for Leeds City before the war under Herbert Chapman. So he was a friend of Chapman's and he was also a friend of uh, Samuel Hillwood who went on to become a uh, director at Arsenal and then the chairman at Arsenal and obviously his, his son and his grandson also became chairman of Arsenal. So um, uh, so this this is what, this is the only thing that i found that alludes to Chapman going to Arsenal and it wasn't Arsenal approaching him. It was quite the opposite and it sounds like he'd been thinking about this for quite a while. Okay, so I'll, I'll read it word for word. So when Huddersfield Town were halfway through their record-breaking feat of winning the Football League Championship in three successive seasons, he, Chapman, said to me, there's a change of management coming at Highbury. That's the place for me. You have a friend there, Sir Samuel Hillwood. Can you drop a hint? And what he wanted to do, he says, uh, and this is something he'd said to Sharp before, so this was several years before. He says, "What a chance there is in London. I would like to build a Newcastle United there." Now, back that what he's talking about is a Newcastle team of the early twenty, the early twentieth century, where they won the league three times and the FA Cup in like six or seven seasons. So Chapman always wanted to come down to London. Arsenal had just sacked Knighton. And he obviously saw something there, even though Arsenal had finished towards the bottom of the table in 25. And he's asked Ivan Sharp to put in a good word for him, which can only mean that Chapman applied for the job rather than Norris approaching Chapman.
1: Wow, that's really interesting.
3: other than that, we found virtually nothing on this. Yeah.
0: Uh, Fergus, Fergus, that is, a, that is a great place. Andy has took us to a great spot there to move into a whole new era in a whole new show, you know. Uh, and, and that is brilliant. But, but I've got to go back a step because there's one more question, Fergus. Only slightly, right? Only sli- I know we've overrun slightly, but I just want to watch oh, these we- places and I want the reactions. So the last season before the war, we finished fifth in the old second division? Sixth. Sixth. Well, your book's wrong then because it has got to stand as fifth. Is there not a footnote at the bottom of the table? Oh, yeah. I'll let you <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a minute. That's another one of you, boys. I'm marking it down. Um, and then after
1: Where's so overrunning after for? <laughs> the war,
0: after the war, we come back and we're playing first division football. What does Norris do? There's so many stories about what Norris does.
3: What strings does he pull, if any? Okay, so there's this guy called Jimmy Catton. He is like the, the most well-connected journalist, sports journalist in the world. Okay, everyone knows him. And basically what, what, what happened was that the league, got, the, the, the league expanded. So the first division went from 20 to 22 teams and the second division went from 20 to 22 teams. And what has always happened is... When that happens, the two teams that got promoted from the second up to the first obviously stay in the first division because they've earned it. The two teams that got relegated become second division teams. But then the Football League says any, of you, any team in the second division that wants to be um, put into an election for them two spaces is illegible. Okay? now you'd expect all the clubs to do it, but for some reason, it never happened. It was always about five or six teams. And Arsenal said, well, we want to be in that vote. And the the last time it happened in 1905, uh, one of the teams that asked to be put in the vote finished about 12 or 13th. And in 1915, Nottingham Forest, or 1919, Nottingham Forest asked to be in the vote. And they finished 17th in the second division. And basically what Norris did, was he got Catton, who he knew very well, and we know that that he did this because there is a letter in the Arsenal Museum from from Norris to Catton, asking him, can you um, put forward our case to the other members of the Football League, explaining uh, and and giving reasons why. And one of them was that Arsenal were the first team from the South to join the Football League in 1893. And we'd... we'd, um, We'd stayed with the Football League even when the Southern League had been formed and we could have gone and stayed, played in the Southern League, which would have made our journey, uh, journeys around to away games much easier. But we stayed with the Football League, you know. We were loyal to them. And so Norris got Catton to go and do his lobbying of the teams in the North and the Midlands, which were made up by far the majority of the teams in the Football League. And, um, and that was it, basically. You know, he used his noddle. And whereas Tottenham thought that they were entitled to it and they just expected it and they just didn't put in as much effort. So really, all he did was run a better
0: election campaign than the others?
3: Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I don't right. let anyone tell you about bribery or anything. There is no proof of bribery and it didn't even get mentioned until 50 years after the event and it was by a Tottenham supporter who wrote a history book about the Arsenal and he had he gave no evidence. It's like me just writing a book now and saying, oh, Chelsea bribed their way into the Football League in 1905 with no evidence.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, and yeah. people just accepting it. So that's put
0: that one wow. straight, Fergus.
1: C- certain elements of, of of society um accepted it, but uh, you we we know we know better guys yeah. um uh, really worth overrunning for that. Thank you very much. love to do something special on Chapman and take it through the eras. if you're willing to do it over the yeah. summer. It's better than uh doing uh talking about transfers and speculations in the press that nobody knows about um Andy mark, just want to say where where people can get hold of you and I have put your website up there, which is uh thearsenalhistory dot com. Um please go onto their website if you want to get any more details. There's everything on there, honestly. And as Trevor said, don't click in there if you're rushing out with your missions or something like that, because you're going to get in trouble. You're going to be stuck on there for a little while. So Andy, do you want to tell everyone where they can uh find you?
3: Uh yeah, as Fergus said, www.thearsenalhistory.com dot com and also uh, thearsenalcollection.org.uk dot uk or on Twitter as it says there at guna underscore AK.
0: I'm at at Royal Arsenal MRA. Royal Arsenal MRA. I love that. Royal Arsenal MRA. But just remember, we got to I know we I jumped back a bit, but we got to where Chapman has really interviewed himself or shielded himself in for an interview for the Arsenal job. Hold that thought to be continued. It excites me. Excites me. I want to know more about Mr. Chapman. I'm going to go and read about it now till next time.
1: Right. You have been watching an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans, for Arsenal fans, listening to the history, the way it was, not the way it was made up by the boys on the uh, arsenalhistory.com website. Uh, If you like what we do, click subscribe. Tell your mates about it. Um, Thanks very much. You've been listening to Guns and Yellow Ribbons, an Arsenal podcast by
0: Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons. And remember to rate and review us too.